0: In this podcast, I'm sharing my passion and curiosity for soft robotics, where we share inspiring stories about the work we do and how we can push the limit. I am Mara Dweeney, and this is Soft Robotics Podcast. support for this show comes from Science Robotics Journal. I really find science robotics to be a great resource for reliable and tangible research where we can really push the limit of the science we do in robotics great way to stay up to date with the published article is checking out the released monthly issue. All the links will be included in each episode description. We will also happen to have a regular conversation on the most published science robotic articles, where also you can contribute with your question and thoughts about the research. Thanks, Science Robotics, for sponsoring Soft Robotics Podcast. I'd like to ask you first, how you'd like to define who you are for the
1: audience maybe first time listening to you. Yeah, so my name's David Howard and I'm a a senior research scientist at CSIRO, which is, uh, so I'm based in Brisbane in Australia. Um, And I'm part of the robotics and autonomous systems group there. So uh, we focus on field robots. So robots that need to go out into the real world um do real things so you know I think the most famous example uh recently has been the DARPA subterranean challenge where we finished uh second joint first on points um with the eventual winners and that's the type of thing that we do we take robots we make them go out and work uh, and, and mm-hmm. work in sort of nasty environments as well um so that's kind of where I come in I mean my, my backgrounds um my PhD is in genetic algorithms and neuroevolution and things like that, which I did in England. And then I came over here and then I got into soft robots. And I just think the 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 kind of marriage of evolution and soft robots in the domain of field robots, uh, kind of in particular, uh, is really, really an exciting one.
0: So thanks so much. And also, congratulations for that recent application. I think it's very interesting and touching really, Really challenges in soft robotics. Maybe I'm just ask you in the beginning from your experience, maybe what are maybe the grounded challenges you think in robotics that still need more pushing to forward to that? What kind of the problem do you think still not touch it in depth in robotics yet?
1: Yeah, well, man, it's a good question. Like, so as someone who, who kind of hopped into soft robotics not quite at the start, um, I think. There's a couple of things. So so, so so soft robotics as a whole is this kind of nascent field, right? And uh, it can be in some ways construed as more of an art than a science, specifically around the design. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there has been a lot of really interesting work uh, recently, and I don't want to short sell any of that, but I, I think compared... To, you know, designing a rigid robot, for example, the the challenges are just so much more um, difficult, but they're they're also far more interesting. Um, And I think specifically, one of the things that we're looking at right now is how, you know, if you're training a machine learning model um, to represent a design space for you, how do you do that? because you know if you're using a model of a software robot, you're using i don't know um voxcad or you're using fea or something like that they've all got certain limitations to them they're all great pieces of software they've all got certain limitations um specifically around the reality gap so how do you sample reality properly um especially with these you know infinite degree of freedom software robots it's a very very difficult problem and then coupling that with control as well um, things get a little spicy and you have to really really think about you know what what is the key problem that you want to be tackling uh, and is mm-hmm. there a way that you can frame it in such a way that you can solve it because it's very difficult to do everything at
0: all at once mm-hmm. that's an excellent point so maybe the first thing how do you think you mentioned one of the paper that if you really represent more dynamics of, this, of the problem, it could maybe reduce the reality gap. And also we speak uh, with Rest uh, Drake about, uh, he also was uh, TRI developing Drake. I don't know if you heard about Stu. Yeah. But he, he said that much simpler, mathematics may be the solution. I don't know from your research, you mentioned if we have more representation with dynamic system. And that's lead me to the question about the design. You mentioned it's more about art. Do you think in soft robotics, we don't have, I don't know, we have, do you think, uh, rigorous design methodology for designing soft robots so far? I think
1: I think we do in certain spaces. So, you know, soft robots is this whole massive, varied, diverse field full of all kinds of, you know, strange articulated or continuum devices. Um, some of them can, can be modeled quite nicely. And, you know, um, kind of, I'm thinking kind of continuum pneumatic actuators, for example. They're relatively easy in a way to model. Um, a lot of the work that we do uh, in my team, um, the material robotics team, is around granular jamming. Um, and that's one of those sort of soft robotic subfields where it's very difficult to To get that modeling right um you know you can so to kind of frame the the issue um the the this is kind of the famous sort of universal jamming gripper right where we have essentially like a latex balloon, fill it with coffee grounds, and you attach it via a filter to a vacuum pump, and you can pick up loads of different objects with it and it's really interesting, simple sort of innovation back in 2010 um when that sort of first paper came out Um, and there has been some effort on the modeling of Mm -hmm. these devices but the problem is like you've got all of these individual grains and do you model them as individual grains like in discrete element method can you have like a compressible fluid model instead and then you lose some of the reality from that Um, and the the types of models that we're, we're looking at now are, are kind of DEM and you've got all of these different particles all and you're solving each individual contact between the particles and it becomes intractable past a certain point, right? And and those systems are difficult because you've got the you know, the effects of the shape, the morphology, the material properties of the membrane. And then if you do what we do, which is 3D print the grains that go inside you've got the material properties the surface finish um you know the the softness or, or rigidity the shape combinations of different shapes within that membrane and then they're all interacting potentially in a very complex environment uh so you know that again that's why i like soft robotics it's it's difficult um but it's also one of these really sort of challenging rewarding things where where you kind of feel like you can make a difference um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that the field really has come a long way um, in a very short amount of time and it makes me really optimistic for the future and specifically, mm-hmm. you know, what we can do in the next sort of five, ten years or so um, in terms of having some of this kind of foundational stuff, but also really seeing um, useful outputs delivered into industry, which is which is what CSIRO kind of focuses on. We're, we're kind of the, the national science body for Australia. Um, and that's one of the main challenges that we have, right, is we are seeing uh, lots of issues around agriculture and, and labour shortages and stuff and, you know, mm-hmm. reimagining, for example, what farming might look like in 10 years' time and, and the role that soft robotics has to play in that Um you know, and I, I think that's a v- rather large, significant role if we do it properly.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I think we will go for that later about the maybe the potential behind soft robotics for real world application. But I'm curious to ask you, I think, touching again on the morphology side, because I think also in soft robotics, we speak about co-design and still, is not really well established in the field, how we can bring this to our time the digital computation with morphological computation, and I really like your research about how the morphology can adapt to uncertain environment and how controlling morphology in the real world uh, scenario. Can you tell more about the challenges of morphology and what do you think maybe not touch it in depth about the morphology consideration to be changing and adapting to environment different environment
1: Sure, well, I think you know specifically with, with software robotics, the issue is that you could give the same control commands a hundred times in a given environment, and depending on, you know, the, the specifics of the bit of the environment that you end up interacting with, you'll get some completely different results. And, you know, things like state estimation, for example, very difficult to do in some cases. Um, I think the co-design code problem is really interesting because you immediately start hitting this kind of cursive dimensionality thing right where you you're designing the well you're sort of following the principles of of embodied cognition which i think is a really good lens to view soft robotics um we've got this issue of you know we've got a body we've got a controller but then if we change the body a little bit your controller could break if you change the controller a little bit your body could be less used, for example. And then you're doing all of this in the context of a a kind of unpredictable, unknown, dynamic environment. Um, So there's also issues around like, how do you sample the environment? And and going back to the modelling, like how, how do you represent different environments, specifically in the context of, of FEA? Like, you, you're playing with constraints and forces, and it's very hard to capture the effects of an environment in that case. You're not really, you know, FEA isn't really set up to do that. But if you go into a simulate, like a physics simulation, then in a lot of ways your your models become less accurate and then the results aren't quite as good. So I think there's there's a lot of work to be done in kind of maybe marrying those two together. Somewhat that would be pretty cool, pretty interesting um the, you know the 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 naive way of doing the the co design is like i'll I'll change my body so like in in the genetic algorithm case for example, let's say we've got a population so we're doing population based optimization we've got this population of twenty different uh morphological combinations so different bodies shapes and sizes and and whatever. Um, And depending on what representation you use, like if you use an indirect representation, which is attractive, you know, for a number of reasons, then you've got some issues just with the morphology without the control because the indirect representation, again, you make these very small changes. You you break things quite easily. Um, And then you add the controller over the top and all of a sudden you're optimizing hundreds of, iterations of control onto okay. a single iteration of a body and you get this sort of computational overhead, um, which is, you know, if, you, if you're not smart about how you do it, it's, it's basically impossible to surmount through, even through simulation. So when you talk about doing that in reality and having it work in reality, um, it's an entire other problem as well and you know we've been doing a bit of work recently around um co-design entirely in reality you know we're basically um there's this concept from materials science of the high throughput highway and it's basically they have these kind of uh just very simple xy gantry robots with little sensor heads on them And they can go up and down these little vats of uh, chemical. And I hope I'm not butchering this for for the material scientist someone is. And they can sort of infer properties of different chemicals and then they can optimize those chemicals. But they're doing like thousands and thousands of times faster than a human can. So that's for for materials. Um, You could you know, theoretically do the same for, for soft robots if you had the facilities, the infrastructure to do that Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that we're having a look at right now which is like if we had a reprogrammable controller which most are um then we can actually just do pure hardware evolution of a soft robot and what we're looking at you know we we don't think this is the final answer we think the final answer is a combination of this plus modeling um -hmm. and there's a yeah, there's a, a recent paper from Aida's group which says basically the same thing, and it's the same as as it's kind of conceptually similar to what um, myself and a few others were saying in our in our Nature Machine Intelligence paper on multi level evolution, which is like, yeah, you, you need some hybridization. You know, you need the the models to be fast and cheap and parallel, but you also need them to capture enough of reality and be fed enough real information um, so that you can optimize in that space and that space has a meaning when you then instantiate it in re- in the real world.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great, but I'm just as Do you think there may be very complex problems, do you think, can be handled by the recent, yeah, recent messages we have. Do you think maybe the design, should we rely more into intuitive design if we want to achieve complex problem like using different materials to achieve certain functionality. Do you think there's still sort of problems you think still hard to be handled by, for example, optimization only and maybe intuitive design could be a first approach or how do you see this uh, philosophy of the design? Do you think we have to go for intuition and then maybe leading and figure out how could design can handle such complex problem to achieve, for example, certain functionality whatever? you're looking
1: for. Yeah, and you know, so when I you know, when I said at the start that software robotics is, is more of an art than a science at the moment, um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's a field that really award sort of rewards creativity. Um and a, a lot of the work that we've done so far has been uh, you know, our engineers which I've introduced into the world of software robotics coming up with really amazing ideas just from being exposed to to this kind of new and interesting, and it's a field that's a little bit different compared to the standard, standard kind of uh, mechatronics work that they do. Um, and I think there's a bit, again, you know, like the simulation in real, the, the the answer for me is a little in the middle. You know, as humans, we're not dumb, and, and we do have good intuitions about designs but we just lack the ability to parallelize 10 20 30 designs at once you know so mm. if i ask you to to make me a software that swims you're probably thinking of a fish or you know in software robotics you're probably thinking of an octopus actually but um you have this sort of preconceived notion right of something from nature so bio-inspired great that swims really well and then it's like oh well, let's try and make that with soft materials and that's a completely valid approach um the way we do it is we consider one of our goals to access as much of that design space as possible and then mm-hmm. rely on the bias-free evolutionary algorithms that we use to give us a principled look into that design space so you know there are lots and lots of weird and wonderful uh animals in nature and you know, if if we want something fast, we're going to think of one of the big cats, maybe, or zebra. But there are other animals that do fast in different ways. And maybe some of those are more suited to be recreated as soft robots. Or, you know, maybe we can even think of the mechanisms that they use rather than the animals themselves. You know, steal bits of mechanisms from different animals and have a bio-inspired kind of toolkit of different actuators and different sensors with different kind of performance ranges. So that would be, you know, that would be interesting. Um, but I think, yeah, yeah. The, for me, the answer is we want our engineers to be using their engineering knowledge because they're good engineers. Uh, and we want to be leaning on these algorithms as kind of, um, had a paper where we called it design assist and i don't i don't think we were the first people that came up with that i think i read it somewhere so i need to be careful with that but it's basically the notion that you know these fast parallelizable models can aid human designers in exploring these spaces that their brains aren't equipped to fully um visualize and then you know the you could think about evolution being a coarse grained search over that landscape and then the engineers can come in and use some intuition and kind of do a a local search around that um, so that's that's kind of the philosophy that we're going for at the moment so what we're trying to to implement um, and it's yeah it's been promising so far but you know no no results to talk of yet
0: so I guess it's key about the relation between specifically with the morphology and control And I don't know how do you see we can leverage the richness of the body, for example, versus the control. Do you think should we minimize the control? Example you mentioned that we have a legged robots, but if we speak about like soft, fully soft robots, do you think how the scenario looks like this combination morphology and control and this environment changing? Which one, yeah, do you think that you can leverage the richness of the soft bodies? and use minimal control. How do you see the equation here between control and morphology towards in changing environment?
1: I see, I see. So, I, Yeah, I, my personal thoughts on this is that we need to get some reactive kind of sensing actuation mechanisms into the body material um you know much like you know i mentioned octopuses before they they have arms that can basically control themselves and it's coordinated through the brain um and that's you know an octopus being an octopus i imagine is a is a wonderfully difficult control problem to have um so i think you know a, a, our preference is 3D printing, so we we do a lot of stuff, you know, trying to embed sensors and actuators into, into body materials to really leverage the body. And the problem, again, there is, that, you know, if you're going to take your standard engineering approach, you would go and try and reduce that into component units and then solve all the component units and then bolt them back together. And that's great for a rigid robot, but you can't really do it with the soft robot because you're looking at the whole body interaction. And again, like if you take that octopus, which displays these wonderfully clever behaviors in its environment and you go and stick it somewhere else, it's not going to behave very well. Um, so it's, it's really having that coupling with the environment as well. And you know, that. so there's the notion would be, you would have uh Body material, which you can create in you know free form fabrication, whatever shape you want, ideally, and then inside this material, you have the equivalent of um a nervous system which is locally connected, um, which can react instantly to environment that it senses, but those signals are also passed through to a central unit, you know the brain. Which um coordinates all of that, so having having the intelligence literally distributed through the body um again it's not not an original thought in terms of um mm. we see it in nature, but I think to answer the question, we need to look for natural creatures which we would struggle to generate control software for. Um And those are you know the, the continuum devices fully soft, and we look for how those solve the problem, and they solve the problem in the way I described. They, they have the, the, the knowledge you know, the, the intelligence is is literally in the body.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent. So I'm going to ask you also again about uncertainties like damage, how does soft bodies can adapt to do damage? And what are you doing? This combination, morphology control environment, damage here, the equations damage. How they can adapt to the damage. I do you think there's limitation depending on the morphology. I'm curious about the scenario like that, the failure of damage here. How they can adapt. Sure.
1: Maybe Josh Bungard's most, well, m- pretty recent work where he actually evolves soft cellular animals that are made of living cells. That would be a route towards it, although it's very sort of nascent. Uh, but the proof of concept is is there, at least. Um, I think another way that you can do is kind of, you know, uh, maybe a, a more near-term way of doing it is just to, to make do. You know, if I twist my ankle, um, I'm hopefully not going to die, right? But it's going to be more difficult for me to adapt um and there's been some good work around you know let's say i have a model of of myself um or a soft robot in this case has a model of itself um you can you can damage that robot and the model will be able to instantiate damage recovery in some way it will find a locomotion strategy, a, a behaviour, a suite of behaviours that work for the body it has right now, uh, the broken body. And that that's a feasible way of doing it, in my opinion. Like, you don't need these robots to be 100% functional all the time. And, you know, that's, that's a near-term solution. And I think you, it's also, it's kind of encapsulated in the need for adaptive control. That these software bots have anyway, so that's that's a straightforward method of of kind of implementing that.
0: I guess through the project you work on, is there something was we struggled to understand or was kind of yeah counterintuitive or exciting? I don't know. Sort of the process, what you do, what you're working on. Any moments like this is yeah counterintuitive or exciting, or I I didn't saw that should work in that way any
1: moments like that oh yeah so um man i think the there's been a couple but the 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 most recent one is when we again looking at these granular grippers um what we want to do is provide ways for people to have their universal grippers work better um not necessarily needing to go into vast design spaces and control spaces, but sometimes the simplest solutions are the best. And one of them that we had was um, basically adding a an amplifier, like a vibration amp- amplifier, onto the top of the the balloon, and then we could vibrate the grains. So... Um, we looked through the literature and we saw, you know, vibration was used to unjam the grains, basically to reset them to a fluid-like state so they can push onto a different object and then solidify and, and pull off again. But it hasn't really been used for control that much. So we had this um, this paper that is uh, on archive right now um, where we change the sort of the the signal properties of the of the signal, Um, you know, the vibration, the amplitude, and we show there's a a strong dependency on the ability of that gripper to grip uh, our test objects. Um, So what it means is basically, we've been looking for a way to do this co optimization problem with a jamming gripper and the jamming gripper normally what you do is you just have a vacuum pump and you turn it on and off so you have like a binary control um which does speak to the kind of material computation aspect of things right where you just your control is one or zero and it's super simple and it's great and with our printed membranes we can get program deformations in them so we can make them twist for example to pick up coins and things that these jamming grippers normally can't do uh very easily um but it opens up this entire range of behaviors of control that we can now co optimize with the morphology. So, I mean, the results from that were pretty stark in terms of it's always better, regardless of the frequency, but it's very specifically uh, certain frequencies that it works well at. Um, And that was a a project that was it was a, a master's students thesis. Um, a guy called Vagav and he you know he came to work for six months and we did the whole thing and at the end it was like wow that's that's pretty interesting um so yeah I think that's probably the most recent sort of wow moment that we've had
0: Mm. excellent so I'm curious to ask you do think maybe other questions maybe in soft robotics field also maybe on robotics do you think still not really ask it by the community, you think but when you look why why we don't touch this topic? Because part of it maybe we have went a little bit in risk to go for this area because no one touched it before. I, I'm curious about your point of view. What kind of questions you think maybe it's really work? Is still uh, this question are not, not answered yet? When uh, no one uh, yeah initiates this question, why I don't know if you have any thoughts about that point.
1: Um. I I I do, but I kind of think that the answers are in are kind of in the in the questions. Like, why don't we do more with untethered soft robots that could actually go out and sense things? And the the answer is that I don't think the field's quite ready for that. Like, we it's very, it, we have so many problems, so many interesting research directions to go in, um, and that you know that there are untethered soft robots out there. Um, And that work is all really impressive. But if you think about an autonomous agent, so for example, the types of robots that we do in our group as rigid robots, they're basically like um, tracked vehicles and they've got um, sort of slam packages on, on top of them so they can sense the environment and then they can build a map. Um, and then they can sort of move around on that map autonomously. Like, we can't do that with a software right now. Um, okay. And I, I, think the, I think the field isn't really directed towards that yet. I think the field, you know, things like state estimation are still difficult. Um, you know, if our robot can bend in, in an infinite number of ways, how is it bent right now? is a really tricky question still so i think a lot of the sensing um advancements that we've had are really around sensing the robot itself kind of internal sensing of the robot's own state which makes sense right because that's what we need uh, as a minimum to be able to get any decent control out of it any behaviors um but there isn't too much environmental sensing. Now, there, there obviously is some in terms of pressure sensing of an actuated touching an environment, but, you know, the, the wider context of what's going on, the type of broader knowledge that you need for actual autonomy, where you can just let a robot go on a mission. Um, I don't think robots has really tackled that yet. And coming, you know, in the field robotics group, that's something that we're going to have to tackle sooner rather than later. Um, but it's not, yeah, I don't think it's really currently covered by soft robotics uh, research, although I am happy to be corrected on that. Um, and I think maybe one more um, that I've mentioned before, sort of, in, in the, the multilevel evolution paper, was, like, we we make our robots out of these... Awesome, wonderful compliant stretchy materials. But wouldn't it be awesome if we could just hook up our design algorithm to another design algorithm that is designing bespoke materials for us? Like so when we use our uh, uh, well, sorry, when we when we sort of do a standard soft robotics thing, let's like, say so we're casting something, right? We're using PinkSil or EcoFlex, and these things come from I mean, they're good, right? But they're they're, they're used because it's relative. And, you know, in relative terms, it's relatively easy to work with them. They're available. They have some mechanical properties which link up to the mechanical properties we want to see. But they're for prosthetics. They're like for prop masks and stuff. Um, They're not designed for robotics, is my point. And I think we could get a long way by evolving or learning or investigating spaces of materials that are specifically robotic materials. Uh, You know, things where we start to have these materials that integrate the sensing into them already, so the material can sense itself. And then we can just create structures out of this material and that structure can sense itself too. Um, And as we, you know, talked about coupling a lot, so if we couple the search process of bespoke robotic materials with a search process of bespoke soft robots, then you mm-hmm. could hit this kind of evolutionary arms race thing where they're both optimizing each other. It's like a, a, a co-evolutionary free lunch. And that's the the sort of thing that, um, that's very exciting. But again, yeah. like we, we, we're not there yet. We don't, we don't have it yet and that's okay.
0: Yeah. I really like this point. This is a really excellent point because I, when you mentioned about the work competic conflex dragon yeah it's easy to use maybe but and I had the experience I was working on any conductive polymer a couple of years ago and this material yeah it's still I think yeah because it had this trade off between the mechanical performance uh, very low mechanical performance very slow but it it's operated at low power and it could be work as sensor actuator at the same time but seems it's hard to understand and that's leading to the question for you. Do you think when we speak about real world application, that's something realistically? We need something to work with so that you can understand and test our ideas. On the other side, we have the material part, morphology, control, environment, this kind of combination here. Do you think for you the material part, maybe what kind of material can operate at cyclic load and also has low hysteresis? So it's kind of characteristic for you. Do you think maybe there's something room here missing between the material part? morphology, control, and how we combine all that. How do you see this combination for the material selection here?
1: Well, I think, yeah, yeah. I think if I knew the answer to that fully, um, I'd probably be working on that right now. But uh, I think, you know, there's definitely scope to improve our base materials. You know, we, again, we've chosen these materials because they're, they're decent. They provide basic mechanical functionality, so that we can make them into a variety of shapes relatively easily. Again, I hate casting things, but like relatively easily. Like, I think a, a a really interesting breakthrough would be if we could get our printable materials up to the same standard as even those basic materials. That would be a good first step, because the you know the the, the printed materials that we have on our Polyjets are really really good in terms of we can spit out lots of designs very quickly and physically characterise a design space to some extent, but the, you know, the, the elongation at break, for example, um, the, the basic mechanical properties of these printed materials are still not where we need them to be. And if we can do, if we can get them the printed materials up, then, um, it means that we can just explore these design spaces a lot more freely, and and we can th- make things that are more useful. Um, a lot of the the kind of printed things that we that we create at the moment, um, we subsequently recreate them. You know, once we found a good morphology through printing, we then recreate it in casting. Um, but if we do that, we can't do like multi-material very easily, for example. And the PolyJet lets us do very simple multi-material <laughs> builds that are really nice you know, variable wall thicknesses and all of this stuff, which I think is a key to unlocking this sort of material computing that we need. I think I think the answer is in additive or subtractive manufacture rather than in c- casting and moulding. Um, mm. But to bring them together, um, interesting. I think you so so one thing to think about is kind of like the philosophy of of soft robotics which you know to me um is the philosophy of embodied cognition embodied cognition has all of these components that we've mentioned um but the actual concrete implementation of embodied cognition algorithms again is is quite scant in the literature and if i was looking for a way to tie all of these things together the first thing that i would do was develop a a mature framework that allows us to consider you know maturations in these different elements but also what happens at the interfaces between them you know because that's that's the really interesting science is is what happens when you get material plus morphology you know material and morphology plus control in the environment and all of these different, uh, you know, th- they are in a way silos, but when you break that down, that's that's the, the cool stuff. And that's, I think, having a framework in which to, where, where people have some kind of degree of agreement on um, mm-hmm. what, well, you know, because if, if I say I do embodied intelligence and 10 other people say they do it, they probably have 10 different definitions in their head of what that is. Um, so having like a, like I say, just a framework where we can say, look, refer to figure one. And this is what I mean when I say I'm talking about embodied cognition. And then if we do that, that allows us to transfer those ideas uh, meaningfully into the field. And it might, you know, ideally it will lead to future research directions that would, uh, answer the really really difficult question that you asked me.
0: That's excellent. So since we close to the end, I have a few questions. Maybe the first thing related to morphology, and especially about multi-material design, uh, not printing, but uh, designing multi-material. But when we look, since you are already inspired by evolution and bars for study, when you look to animals have this certain structure for multi-material, and the question is how evolution can come up with this design. For example. I like this example, this fish has called arpaima and Amazon and they have this multi-layer for soft and stiff material, that's when the predator like uh, piranha fish cannot really eat them. And I question to you, do you think in soft robotic, when we try to use different materials, significant materials, to design certain functionality, do you think we understand how we can combine different materials to achieve certain goals in a certain intricate design or maybe similar design? I don't know, but I'm curious how do you see the combination of different mechanical materials in one structure?
1: Yeah. Um, I, again, it, can, it, it it's a difficult one, because it comes back to the the environment, right? So, um, there's been a lot of work on the kind of evolution of multi material structures. Um, there's these algorithms, ESO and BSO, and they're basically evolutionary topology optimizers. Um, and then some of them you can do multi-material, but then it's what happens when you inject a behavior over the top of it. So like there are ways to, to do it, but it, it's kind of reductionist in a way. Like you need to say, like, if I'm a fish and I need my jaws to snap with this force, then all of a sudden that's a, a problem you can kind of solve. Right, but when you're talking about I need my jaws to start with this force and I also need to be able to do all of this other stuff as well, um, it's tricky and it depends on the application of, of the robot, right? which bits matter and which bits don't. Um, I think there's a lot to be said just in terms of marrying a material layout inside a structure. It's very hard to actually even have a, um, a kind of overarching structural optimization and then filling in the different materials as well. Um, and there's, you know, you potentially do that with meta materials. Um, you know, if you've got like a, a voxel-based process, then you can have voxels that are 10 by 10 by 10 and you can put different voxels of material inside that voxel and suddenly you can build up these structures that do that. Do that. And the design of that um, needs to be either automatic, so kind of based on here's here's a shape I've created, here's a behavior that I want, find me the material composition that lets me do it. And it will kind of paint over with the materials that allow it to do that. Um, or you could you could potentially I guess yeah, so that that's probably the main the main way to do it. You you, you, you couldn't really do it as a direct representation because you hit all of these dimensionality problems. But an indirect representation you could do. Um, as long as it's not brittle. And ideally, you know, if you can stick gradients into the problem, then it becomes a lot easier to do as well. Mm-hmm or if you can put the entire problem into some kind of differentiable physics engine then all of a sudden you've taken one of those bits that you're not naively but really difficult to search through and you've turned it into a gradient based optimization problem and then that's you know that's how another way that that we could kind of solve the the Problem of doing materials and morphology and then coupling that with control, you know, make as much of that differentiable as possible. Um, and then the benefit is, you know, it's, a, it's differentiable physics, so you can put it in a physics simulator and tune the physics simulator to reality and mm-hmm. tie everything together.
0: Yeah, so it's a question lifted. The first one I, I'm curious about your future, maybe vision about your work. Where do you see that goal of your work? Maybe that's what I want to do, maybe yeah later on a future vision for your work yeah
1: yeah i i think there's there's a couple of things so i've i've kind of got um a researcher's hat on but also the cyber hat on which is like let's go and, and apply it and get you know 5% gdp or or whatever we can get in terms of you know coming from my academic background what i really want to do is recreate these kind of high throughput processes in a soft robotics context. So it's either we do high throughput materials specifically for a soft robot, or we actually do high throughput soft robotics. Um, and then that's a really good way to explore a design space and make it physically meaningful when you do it. Um, and you can tie this all into kind of the multi-level evolution architecture as well. So instantiating that, fully physically as a system uh, you know ideally what what we do is we'd be bringing in collaborators and having this distributed system uh distributed system where you know the different research institutions have different strengths and weaknesses, but together they could combine them to make one of these really difficult to instantiate systems, and then everyone sort of shares in the benefits of that so that is definitely a bucket list item. Um, and I think in the kind of medium medium to longish term as well, what I want to do is I want to see the, the soft rippers that we're producing um, turned into products that are used by people. So we want to actually have out of the lab and into the field, you know. Um, like I said, we're, we're a field robotics group. And we need things to work. And uh that's really that's really one of the big challenges for us is how do you, you know, even in, in back to material properties, like how do you get something to do ten thousand, twenty thousand, fifty thousand cycles? Um Excellent. kind of thing. Um and the the materials and the material science is obviously, you know, a well established field in its own right. Um, but I think Maybe looking at bespoke robotic materials is a way to to meet those demanding needs of these really difficult sort of uh, environments, you know, orchards or vineyards and, and things like that. Um, so, yeah, that would be great to see as well.
0: I don't know if you have any final words like to say for robotics community, so for robotics listening to you, any final words you'd like to say?
1: Sure. Well, you know, like I said, we're we're relatively new on the scene. We've we've had one article in Sovo, we've had uh, a paper in RoboSoft, and we've got another few kind of uh, that we're working on, we're really eager to start working with other people in the community as well. Um so please have a look at our papers. Uh if we are doing stuff that you think is interesting, um just reach out and we'll be we'll be happy to, to talk to you.
0: Wonderful. Thanks so much, David. It was so inspiring and such a lot of you going at the podcast. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you.
1: Thank you.